0: Welcome to Coffee with Kupke, a production of St. Paul Inside the Walls. Here on Coffee with Kupke, we grab a cup of coffee, at least we're claiming this is coffee. We sit with Monsignor Kupke, Raymond Kupke, the pastor of St. Anthony's in Hawthorne, professor at Immaculate Conception Seminary, diocesan archivist. We sit with Monsignor Kupke to delve into the history of Catholicism in the Diocese of Patterson, my name is Father Paul Manning. I am the vicar for evangelization for the Diocese of Patterson. And here I am with Monsignor Kupke. So grab your cup of coffee and let's jump right in. I'm going to take a sip. So here we are. Uh, Raymond, you'll notice a couple of new things. We have new microphones Yes, that uh, prevent us from... Him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good thing. And you probably can't see this, uh, but we have a small coffee with cupkey mug and a big coffee with cupkey mug. The, I've given away the small mugs and, and we're awaiting the delivery of the bigger mugs so that we don't have to refill our coffee as often. Now so, are we like PBS and we also give out tote bags for a $25 donation. <laughs> well, we may we may get there. We may get there. So uh, I was thinking, I was reviewing some of the uh last episodes, and I realized um that you were appointed archivist by Bishop Casey. Yes, in 1976
1: was the American Bicentennial. bicentennial yeah. So the American bishops at their conference that year decided that as their contribution to the Bicentennial, every one of them would appoint a diocesan historical archivist. Wow. So I was Casey's appointment.
0: And so back then he knew of your interest in history? He did because of Bishop Redimer. It's it's an odd connection,
1: but my best friend Father Dennis Hogan yes. was his first assignment was Redimer's associate at St. Paul's and Clifton.
0: Okay. So through
1: that connection, I met Redimer more often than and
0: one uh, and, thing led to another. And he and, knew you yeah. liked history and suggested it to Bishop Casey. Right. Okay. And um one of the things I realized in in continuing to read Living Stones is that your Footnotes, or I guess endnotes, are almost a book in and of themselves. I I I was kind of skipping the footnotes because I just figured they were referencing your your sources, but in fact, it's a a a whole second book in your endnotes. There was so much material and so much
1: anecdotal material that I I could not pass it by. (laughs) But I couldn't figure out how to weave it into the book. So two things happened: uh, uh, the footnotes became much more expansive. Yes, and uh, also uh, I began writing columns for the Beacon on a ad hoc basis to try and put into print some of the material that I had gotten anecdotally from people yeah. uh, before it would it would be lost.
0: Well, I. Um went to one of these footnotes or endnotes uh because I, I was just marveling at the the detail i think i was reading a portion about uh the sisters of charity and i'm saying what uh resources what sources did he have for all of this detailed information and i went to look at a uh the endnote and realized there's more information in the endnotes it's just not s- sources yeah. themselves so i, f- I followed um a couple of historical
1: authors who do that kind of thing uh one of my favorite authors is Paul Horgan who did a lot of name. research in the southwest and uh his footnotes very often yeah you know, would be another whole yeah story. so
0: at some point i'm going to have to wade through the end notes and come up with <laughs> the most interesting and, and we'll just do maybe an episode on the on interesting footnotes to the history of the, of the you church. You and I have lived together. You've probably heard <laughs> most of the footnotes already. <laughs> that could be true. Um, so throughout past episodes, we have met uh, extraordinary, ordinary folks, and also some giants. Uh, farmer, of course, being one of them, James Roosevelt Bailey. Uh, we're going in a moment to meet another of the giants, but Before we move into chapter four, I wanted to just ask about Mother Mary Xavier again. How do you pronounce her last name? Mahagan. Mahagan. Mother Mary Xavier Mahagan. In in reading uh, of her tenure as superior of the Sisters of Charity of St. Elizabeth, it struck me that here we have a a female counterpart to farmer yes. one of one of the the well, first pioneering women
1: certainly a female counterpart to D- dean mcmulty
0: yeah who we're going to talk about in right. a few moments but um just uh any any uh, summary thoughts about mother mary xavier we talked a little bit about her in the last episode or two episodes ago maybe but just a, a summary she was an immigrant from ireland came from county cork
1: and uh, developed a religious vocation on this side of the ocean, so she entered the New York Sisters of Charity. Right in their earliest days, the uh, charities were not so much into education; the main thrust was orphanages. Orphanage work, yeah, right? you spoke about. That. So she was assigned to St. John's Orphanage in Patterson. Yeah, and was there when the diocese was created. How would she have become the superior? What happened was that, uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine this, but uh, Archbishop Hughes in New York, whose sister, Angela, was the superior general of the New York Charities. Okay. uh, When Newark was established as a diocese, they withdrew all the nuns from New Jersey.
0: Oh, you told us that. Right,
1: because it was a diocesan order, and New Jersey was not in the diocese. So Bailey kind of panicked a little bit. And he.
0: Oh, I remember. He asked, per he permission asked for permission. He asked them if they
1: would loan two nuns back to New Jersey uh, if he could find a group of young women willing the to five. join a new yeah. diocesan yeah. order. So he found five guys. girls yeah. who were willing to be novices, and they sent over two nuns, yeah. and Mary Xavier was one of the two.
0: Yeah. And uh, so. Um, it was
1: only supposed to be a temporary loan, but right. you know, it was like a 70 year loan. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, did the sisters of charity elect their superiors well she was appointed acting by? superior you know for a short time at some point they decided that the loan was permanent so she was confirmed at some point by bailey
0: as like superior for life okay and is is the are the sisters of charity of st elizabeth are they a Diocesan? They entity.
1: were originally, but I think um, since the 1950s, they've been a pontifical order.
0: Got it. Okay. But so.
1: she was superior so long that um, I remember doing something at Condensation Station in the 80s, and they still had nuns there that remembered her from life. And at that point, they were almost 150 years old. But the, superior, the founding superior had lasted so long that they still had nuns who remembered her.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: So she died at what age? She was in her 80s. She died in 1922, Okay. 23, somewhere okay. around there. She died right around the same time as Dean McNulty. They exited oh wow. kind of together.
0: Yeah. So um, you spoke about, um, was it? Corrigan suggesting that uh, Newark would be split again after Trenton, and it might be Jersey City or Patterson. Right. Was, That's the first time that the two words, Patterson and diocese, appear together in print. And I'm just wondering, why is it that Patterson won out over Jersey City? Well, by the time the split happened
1: in 1937, you know, Corrigan is writing in 1880, but by the time the split happened, the highways had overtaken the railroads as the main source of transportation, and the highways connect the counties slightly differently than, than the, rail- the railroad did. Okay. The other longstanding uh, sense is that Newark had just spent a fortune building a new major seminary at Mawa in the northwest corner of Bergen County. And there was no way they could keep that in the archdiocese without giving up Bergen County. So ultimately, Bergen and Hudson stayed in the archdiocese of Newark, and then Patterson obviously was the choice. Yeah, okay. It's Uh, funny because around the same time, Indianapolis was split as well. And they had the same problem, but the location of St. Meinrad's was slightly different. So if you look at Indianapolis's boundaries, um, there's one whole county that is in the Evansville diocese, except for the township that St. Meinrad's is in. But
0: I'm wondering they, if... They
1: couldn't do that with Mawa.
0: I'm wondering if any of us were ever inclined to look at Indianapolis' Indianapolis's boundaries. <laughs> well... <laughs> Okay, so... uh, You want to do this and be nice? (laughs) (laughs) So um, there are two uh, great industries that marked the city of Patterson.
1: Yes. um, Railroad, automotive, not automotive, but railroad engines, locomotives. Yes. Uh, This becomes a big deal in Patterson. And then... Ultimately, it's succeeded by
0: the silk industry, and it becomes the silk city. Yes. Yeah, so we, I, I saw that great little um, saying in your book that Patterson, something about has an iron, an, an arm of iron clothed in a sleeve of silk. So, so yes, yeah, right, yeah the exactly. two industries. Yeah.
1: When we renovated the cathedral in 1987, not the present time, but the previous time the uh, fabric on the back of the throne uh, is supposed to have been one of the last bolts of silk to come out of the
0: silk mills of Patterson. And is that throne still... No. In, it's gone. I have no idea where it is, yeah. And and the silk, who knows? That would have been a neat thing to have. Yeah. I wonder if it's in our basement. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned... Uh, I'm just giving uh, Father Ray phrases to comment on because um, the, the the chapters are so detailed. But you mentioned uh, a great locomotive chase from the Civil War that two that two engines were produced. Is this ringing a bell? No, it isn't. Okay. <laughs> I'll look that up. and uh, I'll have to read in, my own footnotes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Lambert Castle. Mm-hmm. So, having served in Clifton, I was very aware of Lambert Castle. Never really knew what it was, but Catalina
1: Lambert. Yeah,
0: Catalina Lambert is a significant figure yeah. in Patterson history.
1: Yeah, when when you get to um, the late nineteenth century, you know Patterson is beginning to have money, and even Catholic money by the end of the century. So. Um, some of these people that are making a fortune in the silk mills and later industries, they're building some magnificent houses. Uh, If you go on the east side of Patterson, the old Patterson Catholic convent was one of them. But certainly Lambert's up there on top of the Hill there is a, a standout in Patterson,
0: and so Catalina is a man's name. Right. Interesting name, interesting. Yeah. Yes, but he was a, a, a big benefactor of. The, uh. Uh, no, he doesn't have a lot
1: of connection to Catholic history, but okay, he you know, was there. This is the same period when Patterson produces the Vice President of the United States. Now, uh, who would that be? Garrett Hobart. Who was elected with McKinley in 1896? Uh, he's he's a, a you know a sad story because McKinley was assassinated and he would have been the next president of the United States except that he had died already himself uh, be, a year or two before McKinley's assassination. But uh, you know he was from Patterson.
0: This is this is when Patterson was on the national radar. Got it. Got it. Yeah, most of us can't remember vice presidents, but uh, yeah. uh, 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 we have a, a Pattersonian. A Pattersonian. A vice president. Well, I want to move into, uh, we're not going to have a, a lot of time for, the, for uh, talking about the next giant, but I wanted to start this next uh, conversation with a quote from page 89 <laughs> in Living Stones because I just thought you set this up so well. But the most important figure in the life of Patterson during this period, and possibly for all its history, was not directly involved in the ironworks or the silk industry or in banking or education or politics. And yet, in his own way, his interests encompassed all these areas and surpassed them. His six decades on the Patterson scene outlasted all the others. Well before his death in 1922, his accomplishments, exploits, and mannerisms were already the stuff of legend, and his legacy continues to form and shape Pattersonians and Jerseymen of the present and future. He was Patterson's grand old man. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a, a great introduction to this next giant. He was a problem for me in writing the book because he is so big
1: that he's, he's like a bulge in the history of the diocese, you know. And, and finally, I, I figured he was going to have to have a chapter All basically by himself. I was going to have to do a chapter about the church in Patterson, the city and the environs, but it was basically going to be seen through the uh,
0: the prism of his life. So his name, we're talking about this giant. William McNulty. Yes. And did you give him the title Grand Old Man, or was that? No, that already was his before he died. Wow. Um,
1: Amazing. And um, when I wrote the book, you know, when it was just about done and the first edition was coming off the press, I, I gave it to the Vicar General, Monsignor Brestel who was a Pattersonian himself. And the first thing he did was sit down and read chapter four. He skipped everything else (laughs) and went right to McNulty because his first assignment had been at the cathedral maybe a decade or so after McNulty's death. So he had heard all the stories from living parishioners who remembered McNulty. So he sat down and read the whole thing and looked at me and says, you know, this is just like I heard it. Wow.
0: And I thought to myself, all right, we're, we're pretty well job. on track then. Yeah. Now, did you know already uh, of the magnitude of McNulty before you did this research? I knew some of it. I didn't realize how extensive it
1: was um, or what a thorn in the side he was to the Bishop of, Pat- of Newark at <laughs> yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't realize his role against the background of what was going on in the national church at the time.
0: Okay. So we will get to that discussion of his tension with the bishop and uh, Americanism down the road, but uh, we, we just have time to do a brief introduction. He came to America at 21. Right, from Ballyshannon, which is
1: all the way up in the northernmost part of Ireland and in, in, in Donegal. Okay. And um, I visited his oh. his hometown. Uh, actually, you know, you get to Ballyshannon, they say, well, no, he's not actually from here. <laughs> he's from the little Hamlet, just a mile down the road, Clonard or something like that. Yeah. So I, I got there, and and everybody there is McNulty. Oh, wow! Um, I saw the uh, the cemetery where his parents are buried. He still has such a strong presence that when we rededicated the cathedral just a few years ago, his relatives came over from Ireland for the ceremony. I remember this, yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah. he still is a strong
0: link on both sides of the ocean. you know they they know he's a big deal over here now he he came at twenty one and entered seminary in the United States, yes. Yes. Which, w- would that have been unique for...
1: Uh, no, you know, I mean, Mother <clears throat> Xavier, in a sense, did the same thing. She yeah. came over and then decided to be a nun.
0: But my recollection is that he did college first and then seminary. Yes. So he was ordained a little bit later.
1: A little bit, not a, not a lot. 28. And one of the earliest ordinations for the Newark Diocese, you know, I, I, I think when he entered the seminary. I I would have to check this. I think it may have still been New York. And by the time he was ordained, he was actually ordained for Newark.
0: Yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, So I was also um, interested to find out that he began in Madison.
1: They assigned him to Seton Hall uh, right after ordination, you know, uh, Seton Hall was a fledgling, you know, by the end of the first year, it had like 22 students or something like that. So uh, McNulty was like vice president and dean of students and professor of this, that and the other thing. It was a small operation. But then four years later, when uh, Bailey moved Seton Hall to South Orange, McNulty stayed in Madison as the chaplain to the Sisters of Charity.
0: Which is why he had such a close relationship. Yes, this
1: began the the tight relationship between him and Mother Xavier. And also, um, this is a detail that's often overlooked, Uh, he also built the church in Mendham. Saint Joseph. Saint Joseph. So the the if you go to Saint Joseph's today, the original church is now the Eucharistic chapel chapel yeah. of the of the complex, and he built that little building. So uh, we count him you know, as the first pastor in Mendham, and
0: uh, so the cathedral is actually his second pastorate, which which is hard to imagine. And what is amazing to me, and we're going to leave it here. We're going to leave. Uh, uh, Father McNulty at the age of, uh, ordained at the age of 28, and he's going to move into Patterson in his early to mid-30s. Yeah, like 32 or 33. And, he, and he's already um, uh, imagining uh, the future of the yeah, city. So yeah. let's leave that here for now. Uh, and in our next episode, we're going we're gonna to pick up with McNulty in Patterson. Good. Let's leave it there. I want all of you who are listening or watching to make sure that you keep an eye out or an ear out for the next episode of Coffee with Cupkey. In order to stay on top of new releases, make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you are on YouTube, please do drop a like and hit the bell for notifications. While you're at it, make sure to check out the other shows produced by the diocese. Those shows are Beyond the Beacon, hosted by Bishop Kevin Sweeney and Jay Agnish, our Director of Communications, and The Paul Street Journal, hosted by Brian Hansberger and Freddie Garcia. I want to give a special thanks to Joe Genexi, our sound and visual engineer, Caitlin Ferrari, who's involved in pre- and post-production, and Freddie Garcia, who's helping out with this podcast in addition to doing his own. With all that said, I just want to thank you for joining us in uh, Coffee with Kupke. Keep making Catholic history in the Diocese of Patterson.